Mindfulness Mode 233. The world is going so fast. Anything we can do to slow things down, even if it's for seconds or minutes a day, can change everything. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks again for joining me here, Mindful Tribe. So great to connect. Last time, I talked with a corporate and financial expert who had a rough start. He told us all about how mindfulness helped him back when he was starting his career and having some big challenges. Now, he runs the organization called Choose Goodness, where they help mission-driven entrepreneurs. Check out Tommy Breedlove at mindfulnessmode.com slash 232. Have you ever had a chance to learn directly from the experts, to hear them speak, to have a chance to be in the same room? You maybe have gone to a few conferences, and I have too, but I've never gone to one which I thought was quite as amazing as the one I'm going to tell you about now, There are going to be top people there like Lewis Howes, Danielle Laporte, Damon John from the Shark Tank, Simon Sinek, and a whole lot of others too. They're going to be in Toronto on September 7th. I'll be there. I'm an affiliate for the event. I was there last year, and it it was really, truly different from any event I've attended. It was like a mix of entertainment and learning. It just seemed to flow seamlessly. There was great live music, and then somebody would appear to speak. and, And it wasn't all about pitching, you know, items to sell. It was just about content. It was so valuable. It's described as an annual gathering of mission-driven entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals who want to do well by doing good. 100% of the proceeds will be gifted toward the Archangel Fund, which is used to provide microloans and donations to entrepreneurs and charities, making the world a better place. If you're interested, you can get tickets at archangelsummit.com. That's A-R-C-H, Angel. If you use the promo code I'm going to give you, you can get 40% off. The promo code is Mindfulness Mode. As easy as that. So use that promo code, 40% off, and maybe I'll see you there. Today, I spoke with an Alaskan-born Texan. (laughs) At least, that's how he describes himself. He owns a financial company, a precious metals company in Texas, and he's created a form of martial arts combining yoga with Aikido. Sit back and relax as you learn about the many sides of today's guest. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Hey, today I am excited. I've got Damien Lupo with us today. Hey, Damien, are you in Mindfulness Mode? I am Mindful Mode right now, Bruce. It's great to be here. You sound it and you look it, and it's just great to be able to talk with you. So Damien Lupo began his career as an entrepreneur when he was growing up in Alaska, and he was only 11 years old when he first became an entrepreneur. So that's interesting. He was always massively curious, and he'd absorb information just like a sponge. Then he'd use it to vastly improve the lives of other people. Over the past 25 years, he's owned and operated successfully 
successful businesses ranging all the way from real estate, precious metals, insurance, and financial consulting. And as a result of his incredible and varied expertise, he's written five books and now helps people reach financial freedom through his business, Total Control Financial. And he's also done another very cool thing. He's combined yoga and Aikido, and he's created something called Yokido. So this is cool. We've got so much to talk about, Damien. So let's just start with this. Mindfulness, what does that mean to you? Bruce, mindfulness to me, when that first thing that comes to mind is, is presence. It's it's how grounded we are, I am, you are in whatever space we're in. And so if, if we can narrow it down to one word, it's absolutely how present we are. Wow, very cool. So you've always been interested in the financial side of things, and then you've got your spiritual side as well. Which was first? Like when you grew up, was it, were you totally into financial? I mean, if you started a business at 11, I'm guessing it must have been a financial emphasis. Is that true? Well, it's it's an interesting question because to me, they're one and the same. And and here's what I mean by that. When When you think about finance, we're talking about energy because money is really energy. And as a kid, I was being told that we didn't have enough. There, there was no there was no money for really anything I asked for. And it just didn't resonate. So my spirit was more open. It was very abundant minded, even though I didn't recognize this. I wasn't I wasn't clear on that's what was happening. But as a kid, there was a disconnect and a, really a, a problem, some tension between being told no and and feeling like there should be an opportunity or an option to have these things to create these things to be a part of an abundant world and so that's that's where the financial creation started to happen because my spiritual being was really pushing through the the noise of being told no that there's not enough so what was your first business damien well, this is going to seem really profound, but it was video games. I mean, I, I was being told I couldn't play. I couldn't buy va- games. I, I could, you know, I wanted some from my parents. I wanted them to be able to buy games like, like any kid to have things they want. And they said, no, what do you think money grows on trees? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I mean, you know, of course it does. Cause I'm a kid. That's what happens. Sure. And, and so I ended up getting in the buy sell business where I would, I would solve problems. And that's a big part of the, the spiritual connection to financial abundance. It's solving problems and the bigger problems we solve the more wealth we can create. And so I was just buying big piles of video games, solving people's problem that were bored with their games. And then I would play them and, and then I would sell them off one at a time. So I, be, I basically became a marketplace and I was solving buyers and sellers problems and my own problem at the same time, really without having to take resources from my parents that they didn't have, I was able to create that out of thin air because I was, I was in my mind thinking about how I could do some type of service for other people. Right. And so when did you start to realize that there was a a spiritual side of you and when did that become an important aspect? Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that I don't think I realized that until I lost my money, until I lost my wealth, until 2008, after I'd built up a real estate empire, national empire, had a $20 million portfolio. And when that fell apart, I realized that I wasn't focusing my spiritual side. I wasn't really focusing on some broader mission or or impact. It was really just about more. And when that was my primary focus, just more, like the, the values and goals were all about more, more, more stuff, more money, more cars, more whatever, then I think the universe said, eh, wrong, wrong, buddy. You got the wrong idea. We need to reset you and get you focused on something that's more impactful, that's, that's touch, touching people and not just about your own consumption. And so it was after that, it took a few years for me to realize 
I need to really think through and feel into this and understand that I'm here to serve and create. And by that, the side effect will be the abundance and the, and the money and everything else. But if that's my, my focus, if that's the outcome, then the universe isn't really, really cool with that. That, that was my experience. Right. So then what was your first step in order to reset the, the thing that happened after that, I had to ask the right questions because I think everything in our lives starts with the right questions. It's not, that an, it's not an answer. It's asking the question. For me, the question was what is true? And what was true is that I was, I was focusing on the wrong things. I, and what was also true is that I had a deep-seated need and desire, which was in alignment, I think, with, with what the universe wanted for me, which was to teach. And, and so I started writing. I, I wrote a number of books on subjects that I, I knew about, or at least I thought I knew about. And this is one of the funniest things when you write a book, especially if it's a bit of a technical book, you realize how little you know and you have to get very present and you have to be very mindful or you're found out pretty quick that you're a big dummy and you really don't know what you're talking about. So that was one of my my processes to go into a space of, of giving and starting to create that would have an impact long term and and widely globally was was creating these. And it started with the book really on on my journey through this whole mess called Reinvented Life. That's the biggest step when you're willing to be vulnerable and open and sharing who you are. It really puts it all out there and it cleans you out so that you're not stuck with all the toxic residue. Right. And so you got involved in yoga. And when was that? When did yoga fit into this picture? Well, I, I, um, I credit or blame or, or whatever. I, I really have a lot of uh, a gratitude to Chris Ashby, the co-author of Reinvented Life, for making the comment that he did to me about yoga in 2011. Uh, we had met in 2010 and I said, why do you do yoga? Because at the time I was trying to figure out meditation. I had just gone through a course at, at the Chopra Center and, and he said, I do yoga because it opens my body up to being present for meditation. And I went, oh, I got it. So then at that point, it was really a, a conscious focus to make sure I was engaging and showing up for, for yoga and getting into that space where I could be present because all the noise, and we all have this, we just, we have things attacking us on our phones and in our life and, and just the, the vibrational noise that's out there, it was knocking me off course and I wasn't very good at meditating. I could sit still for about eight seconds and then I was off to do something else. So that was the, the time where that one statement, that one question led to me really engaging that because it allowed me to be present for the, for the meditation. So did you start doing yoga daily? I was for a while. I was doing it daily and it really felt off if I wasn't doing it because it was so it was so present. And I, I think there's almost an addiction because it's so clean when you're the more present you are. And this really happens in yoga. It happens in martial arts, too, because if you're not present, you fall over. You like you literally lose your balance because you're thinking about something else other than being with you. And and that in martial arts, you end up with a fist in your face or you end up upside down. So that that was that was definitely a very great practice um, around presence. So which came first, yoga or martial arts? Martial arts was a long time before that. Martial arts was uh, starting in 2000, so almost 20 years ago. And, and it, was, it, it was an interesting thing because yoga kind of naturally started to flow. It was showing up in my life. But the martial arts started off with almost a, a need to be a ninja. And it was it wasn't really a spiritual thing. It was just I, I felt like I wanted to be this this badass that could that could defend himself. And and it it, it just it was part of uh, it was part of me. It grew and grew to where I, I needed more and more of it. I wanted to go deeper. And even when I got my black belt, I realized, wow, I'm just starting this journey. So um, it definitely came significantly a decade before the yoga. So do you feel like you've reached badass status? You know, it's funny. I, I, I reached the status where the, the more lethal I am, the more gentle I am. And, 
And there's, there's never a sense if you're, if you're ever around me, there's never a sense of wanting to do harm or, or anything. Um, I, the, the, the way I look at it, when I go out into the world, I'm very comfortable in any environment. I could, you could put me in, in Afghanistan, you could put me anywhere and, and I feel fine because there's an awareness and that's what, that's what martial arts is all about. It's about awareness and presence. And when you have the awareness, you tend to, to, you tend to flow, especially in Aikido, you flow and you blend around things and you don't go right into a conflict. That's the most valuable part. It's not that I can be really fast at dropping someone. It's that I can naturally blend around so that the conflict doesn't even exist. So when did it occur to you to marry the two, yoga and Aikido? This was probably about a year to a year and a half into yoga. I realized that there were so many things that were connected between the two. And the the difference was in yoga, it was very individual. It was very much focused on on self. And there there wasn't much of a relationship with other people. But both Aikido and a lot of martial arts primarily are focused on breath work. Aikido, when you're using your breath to connect with other people and to be present, it's the same thing with yoga. If you don't start with the breath, everything else is really kind of, in my opinion, worthless. You have to start with the breath. Breath. And and at, because you're starting with the breath, it seemed like these were the two perfect things to to build together because they they have so much in common. And and the deeper you go into a present state with both of them, the more powerful you become, the more connected to everything else you become. And for me, they were my two loves. So when we have loves, we tend to want to mesh them together somehow. I think it's a natural tendency. Yeah, for sure. What plans do you have for that? It's, it's, it's about sharing it with people and it's about inviting them to become a part of, of that, the, the, the practice, the rhythm. Um, and really to me, it's, it's funny because it's not as structured as say like Chuck Norris's school of martial arts. There's, there's more of an ideology. It's a philosophy, the, the power and the relationship and the enlightenment, the three pillars of it. You could really take those things and start finding that how they are, um, are part of your life and how you can have power without force, which is also a great book by David Hawkins, power versus force. And that was a lot of what this was based on. It was about having power without force and teaching people how to be strong without being harsh, without being uh, in conflict. And we, I mean, there's conflict everywhere. You, you turn on the news and it's just like you're, you're getting attacked by conflict all the time. So my plan is to continue to share this so that people can start thinking about it and realizing that they don't have to be in conflict, that there's a choice. It's not a natural outcome. There's nothing natural about constant conflict, but presence and, and peace is definitely a natural space where, where people can start practicing that if they choose it. Well, you're also an expert at the whole financial aspect. And you said at the beginning that, that spirituality and money are closely entwined. Can you expand on that and tell us how this led you to total financial, total control financial? Yeah, definitely. Bruce, there's something that happens when we're, we're focused on money. We tend to have a very small, uh, very scared, very fearful mindset around it where we just are thinking about how we can get it. And, and so if, if you're in that space, you tend to always be in that space. There's, there's never any peace in it. And, and so the, my, my thinking with all the Aikido work that I was doing was this seems like a giant amount of conflict that, that there's pain involved. And I see everybody, my family, my friends, just society in general in a constant fight. And I thought there's gotta be something different. And when I started studying Buckminster Fuller and, and some of his work, there was a, a 90 degree effect. If you were focusing on the right things that really was that, that were in alignment with the universe, there started to be a conspiracy with the universe. And the side effect was this physical abundance, this, this human experience where you have all these things. And if we let that be the side effect, then there's a natural opening to abundance. 
And so that was the intention behind total control financial. It was, it was about an intentionality around you being focused on what you're great at and taking responsibility because it really does come down to that one thing, the, the responsibility. You can't be present if you're not responsible for yourself, for your own breath, for your money, for whatever. And, and so this all comes back to one of our six key values at the company, which is self-responsibility. The moment we go into self-responsibility, we can start to create, we can start to control, we can start to design versus having a life of default, especially when we're talking about money. And I think that's where most people are. They're just hoping and praying. In fact, I, I say people are smoking a lot of hopium in their financial planning a lot. And I, I think that's a terrible strategy. I think we need to start taking control and, and not smoking all this hopium. And so how do we start? What's the first step to take control if you're not in control? This comes back to presence. It's being, being in control is about being present and being present means we're looking at our, our wealth, what we've created and, and saying, okay, this is my responsibility. It's nobody else's. It's not about handing off my money to somebody that's a financial salesperson or financial advisor, as they're called. It's not about just punting, maybe even putting money in a, a mutual fund or in our house and saying our house is going to be our great asset. It's really being mindful. And what that takes is is studying and, and it, it takes expanding our minds. I was I was just with Robert Kiyosaki this weekend in, in Montana and his teachings around money and, and financial literacy and things have been a part of my my study for the last 20 years. And it's, it's really engaging with people that are outside of the system, if you will, because the system does not teach us this. It doesn't teach us mindfulness. It doesn't teach us about financial literacy. It teaches us how to be robots and how to really to be how to be slaves to somebody else's agenda. We've got to decide what our agenda is. And it, if it's the mainstream, probably if it's what most of our parents taught us, it's probably going to result in us being slaves the rest of our lives. Right, right. And a lot of us are that. And then we suddenly wake up and realize, you know, hey, what's going on? What's happening to my life? And I've had so many of my clients have explained life that way to me, and then they just want to make a change. And I'm sure you have too. Yeah, there, there, there is there, that question. There's that moment. And, and same thing where I've had clients that I've worked with and, and pretty much every client has been an accident. Well, I mean, an accidentally on purpose event where somebody came and said, will you help me? And I'll always say, well, what do you want help with? What do you want to talk about? And they'll say, I, I just, I, I don't feel like I have control or I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And it's because they've spent an entire lifetime doing what they were supposed to do, but it doesn't really put them in the driver's seat. It puts them in the back seat at best. And, and so they come in and they say, I, I just don't know where to start. What do I do? And, and it's really about building up the emotional intelligence and the confidence to make decisions and not feel like we're too stupid. And that's the unfortunate part about what Wall Street teaches us and what the system teaches. It teaches that you're too stupid to make decisions, that the, the nanny state should make decisions for you because you don't have values and ethics and morals that are good enough. And your financial literacy is terrible. So you should just turn your money over and just work and hope it all works out. I don't think that that's true. And I, I think you're right that people are waking up and they're saying, I want to be a participant. I don't want to just be the side effect. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade and I've, I've connected with people a lot on that topic. I want to know if you have a story you can share, which is either a bullying story from when you were a kid or maybe even in the business world as an adult. Boys, the amount of the amount of bullying that I've experienced. I mean, one of the most intense events in my life was when I was in junior high, and up up in Alaska, I had a kid come on the school bus and he and he pulled a 357 uh, pistol out, put it to my head, and said he was going to kill me. I mean, that's a pretty intense bullying experience. And it really is. It, yeah, it's uh, not very many people know that I had that experience, 
And it's, it, I think that was one of the things that made me feel like I need to be able to be in the space where I can do something that I'm not going to be a victim. And so now one of the things that I train on is, is being able to move gently around that type of thing. So if that were to happen, if somebody were to pull a gun on me or to pull a knife or whatever, I'm naturally instinctually going to move around it and I'm going to deflate or deescalate the, the situation. And, and th those type of events didn't just stop in junior high when you're out there disrupting. And that's what I tend to do because mm -hmm. I don't follow systems very well. I tend to say this is a bad idea, which makes people crazy that are really focused on protecting their system. I, I tend to disrupt a lot, which pushes the system back on me. And, and, I, and I'm okay with that because I'm doing it for something that is more impactful and, and freeing people in, in pretty much every case these days. So I've had lots of different pushback from people telling me I was crazy. Uh, in, in 2010, for example, I was on a, a campaign and I was volunteering. I got fired as a volunteer. So that tells you how bad of an employee I am. And after this thing happened, I was, I was watching the internet and I, I noticed people were saying that I'd been fired. And so there was this, these trolls, these anonymous trolls that were out there. And this happens on Facebook. I mean, people are sadly committing suicide. Kids are committing suicide Terrible. when this stuff happens. It's, it's horrible. And my experience was just this onslaught of people being negative and, and just attacking me, telling me how terrible of a person I was. And I was defending it. And I finally said, wait a second, let's just be honest. What happened? I got fired. I was doing that I had quit. And that was one of the moments where I realized I had to just be with the truth. And the truth was I was a terrible employee. I didn't follow rules. I was trying to break the system because I wanted to win. And, and I just acknowledged it. And that was a big step, I think, in the right direction, acknowledging the truth. So that's almost like allowing, just allowing the situation to happen rather than fighting it. Wouldn't you agree? I, I totally agree. It was, it was allowing and, and I can take that and redirect it. And that's one of the, one of the principles of, of Aikido. It's, it's being with the energy and allowing it and you can redirect it, but you're not going into it. You're not fighting it. And that's, that's a very common thing when we think about conflict, we don't think about turning and blending with with something and, and accepting it and saying, thank you for it. We think about saying, no, you're wrong, and I'm going to get into a fight, and I'm going to win. I'm going to beat you, and that usually doesn't end very well. Well, I want to hear more about Yokido and how – like what would it be like if I spent like half an hour with you and we were doing Yokido? What, what would we be actually doing? Well, the first thing that you would notice is the amount of tension in your body, and and what we're usually not conscious of or present to is how much tension there is. And so when when I'm when I'm teaching, and this is with somebody that's brand new, the first half hour, or they've they've been working with me for a few years uh, at the dojo, we'll we'll acknowledge and I'll, I'll constantly constantly ring out the tension. We don't if we're holding somebody, if we're grabbing them, if we're punching or we're def, we're deflecting or whatever just we, we don't realize how much tension and when there's tension we can't actually be present because we're sending energy into something in our body and it, and it takes away our ability to be completely present to be to be there to sink down to be grounded and so you would notice how much tension is there because i would continually find it in your body and you would continually let go of it and eventually you would sink into you you'd sink into the present moment and at that point you're really aware and it would be very simple for you to move because if, you're, if your arm is tense and you wanna move, you've gotta undo the focus on your arm and you've gotta move over to your leg and it takes time and you're not really present and that's where you get hurt. And so we would, we would spend our time focusing on that and you'd be amazed at what happens when you start letting go. I see. And so do you run classes in this? I'm assuming you do. 
I do. I, I have been. I have been doing it in in Texas. I, I was doing it until recently, and then I moved out to to Arizona. And so, actually, going to be doing classes out here and teaching out here. And and I'll be in uh, some of the Wanderlust events in uh, in Squaw Valley is the next one, and I'll be teaching there. So, if anybody that happens to show up at the the Wanderlust event and and wants to learn some Yokido, there I will be there uh, later in late July. So tell us a little bit more about that and how we would learn about it. What's the, what's the cost? What, how long is it? Well, right now the Yokido is, is, is a gift from me to, to humanity. And so when, when I was teaching it, there was the, the cost was time. So it's, it's not a financial cost to me. The greater, the greater investment you can ever make in anything is, is your time. And so I'm going to give my time and, and I have no immediate plans for, for the monetization of this. So it's really about showing up. And at that point, it's it's just going to be a process of of kind of going with the flow. Whoever it is, whether it's a one person group or it's 20 people, we're going to figure out where where people are and then take them a little bit further down their their road into presence. So if somebody shows up in in uh, in Squaw Valley at, at Wanderlust, it may be a few days of, of training, half an hour a day, or it may just be one 90 minute class. It, it's really going to be it's it's not structured. I, I I like to be present enough to where I can go with the flow and meet somebody where they're at. And then take them a little bit further, and so that's that's kind of what it's going to look like, and so we can kind of figure that out together. Sounds sounds exciting. I want to move on to asking you five quick answer questions, and the first one, Damien, is this: Who is one person who really influenced your mindfulness? I think the the answer to that is is Frank Allen, the the guy that I I studied martial arts with for about five years in Austin. Uh, the amount of work we did spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way was uh, it, it shifted me in, in a massive way. And so he would be the one, the one person. And let's talk about that shift. How has that shift uh, affected your emotions? It, it let me let go of the anxiety, uh, the, the stresses, the, the ability to ask what is true. It, it allows us to let go of, of the stuff, the beliefs that we peel back these onion layers. And, and whether that was sitting in an office and chatting or whether that, that was on a, at the, on the dojo and we're throwing each other around, always asking that question and repeatedly asking that question, you keep going deeper. And, and for somebody to hold space, and to me, this is what a great coach does or a great therapist. They just, they simply hold space because we are our own inner guru. We are all black belts. We have all of this stuff in us. What we have to do is find ways to get outside of all of the barriers and blocks. And somebody that's holding space will ask questions to where we start peeking around the corners and we start seeing things and we show up because it's already inside us. Well, let's talk specifically about your breathing and how breathing has changed the way you live your life. Well, one of the things that I, I really hated years ago was... Uh, when I was stressed out, when, when my my uh, my financial world was was really at the at, at that peak at, at the time, I was spending a lot of money, making a lot of money, and there was a lot of toxicity going on. And one of the problems was I, I I took a break from martial arts for a couple of years where I wasn't really training, and I don't think I was really breathing, very shallow breathing. And so there was a lot of dead air. There's a lot of dead life. There was just nothing going on deep down in my lungs and really pushing through my body. And so one of the things that I shifted to, I started learning about TM and, and transcendental meditation. Uh, I, I started learning how to deep breathe, to really take breath all the way in and, and slow it down. And it's funny because if you think about this, the world is going so fast. Anything we can do to slow things down, even if it's for seconds or minutes a day, can change everything because we start seeing things. Otherwise, we're just running. We're in a rat race all the time. 
So that was probably the one key thing was, was slowing it down and being able to focus on that, literally thinking about my breath, counting my breath. It seems crazy or simple or like, yeah, okay, I've heard that before. All right, well, great. How often are we doing it? And that's, that's really the question. How often can we get into that space where we're paying attention to our breath? And that's what I'm doing now more than ever back then. And one of the, one of the side effects of not being there, that toxicity was the anxiety and the stress. And, and it was causing me to be really nauseous and typical system answer. Hey, we'll give you drugs. Let's give you, you know, clonopin or something. And, and the breath work has allowed me to shift away from that. So I haven't touched any of that stuff for many, many years. But I think if people don't focus on their breath, they're going to be stuck in big pharma and a a lot of the other numbing agents, whether it's drugs or alcohol or these different things. And the breath can absolutely solve dang near anything. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. Tell me a book that you would recommend, which is related to mindfulness. Mastery by George Leonard, one of one of my heroes who was a martial arts teacher in, in California and mastery it applies to everything. It's, it's really that process of, of growing and expanding and, and really understanding that we go through these plateaus. This is very, very uh, obvious in martial arts where someone will train and they might train for a year or two or three or have these chunks of time where it seems like nothing's happening and they're just going through motions over and over. And then one day, boom, they go, wow, like I, I get it. it, it just happened. And this happens with business, it happens sometimes in relationships. Being willing to have a life focused on mastery versus a particular outcome, because for me, mastery is something I will never achieve. It's the process that I'm going for where I'm constantly growing and I'm willing to stay with something for months, years, forever, and not I'm not going to quit because it's it's part of that process, that journey, that path. And and I, and I think it, it there's there's hardly an idea of, of this not applying to someone. If, if we're not focusing on mastery in our life of whatever our life is supposed to be, I don't really know why we would be here. Right. True. Makes, makes perfect sense. So could you recommend an app which can help people be more mindful of any kind? <laughs> whatever calendar you're using, you're using is an amazing app. And I'll tell you why. If we will start to look at our calendar and let our calendar guide us, and by that I, I mean using Gary Keller's uh, work and the one thing with with time blocking – I have blocks of time and those blocks are dedicated to being present in whatever I'm focusing on. So it, it could be a date. It could be working on a book that I'm writing. It could just be doing menial tasks, but that calendar, and it, this doesn't matter what calendar you have, it's, but it's the process of actually chunking out time and, and being dedicated and focused on that and then cutting out all the other stuff. That one app can change your life. Great advice. Great advice. Well, it has been awesome talking with you, Damien. How can we learn more about what you do and get more connected with you? Uh, best place to go is, is DamienLupo.com. You're going to be able to find the work I do with Total Control Financial and Yokido. And, and so visit, visit me there. You'll, you'll be able to connect to all the different ways that I'm out there with Twitter and everything. So just visit Damien Lupo and it's D-A-M-I-O-N-L-U-P-O.com. I come visit and, and engage. That's, that's where you're going to find me in the work I'm doing. And, and I'd love to hear from everybody that's, that's listening and, and how you're developing your, your presence and your journey to mastery. I would love to hear those stories. Yeah, that's great. And you're doing tremendous work. So thanks so much for being on the show. It's great talking with you. All the best to you, Damien. Thanks, Bruce. It's been a pleasure. And I appreciate you and I appreciate the, everybody listening. And, and uh, I'm just I'm excited about the work that we're doing together. Thanks so much. Bye now. 
Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.